The Centre for Professional Learning acknowledges and pays respect to traditional custodians and their ancestors across our broad country. We acknowledge the past, present and emerging elders on whose land we have been privileged to live and work. This podcast was produced on Gadigal land. We recognise First Nations people's continuing connection to lands, waters and culture around the world. This podcast was recorded in 2020 by the team from Trio Professional Learning, Jenny, Sandra and Mary Ellen, as part of a series of conversations between teachers about practical aspects of teaching in primary classrooms. Trio presented a variety of courses for the Centre for Professional Learning from 2013 to 2021. Following their retirement and to continue supporting New South Wales public school teachers, Trio made their series of podcasts available to the CPL. The documents mentioned in the podcasts are available on the CPL website. Welcome to Trio Podcasts. In this episode of the Take 5 series, we're discussing the English box. Hello, I'm Mary Ellen Betts and this is Jenny Williams. Hi Jenny. Hi Mary Ellen. One of the things I realised when working as a mentor with um, teachers in their first two years um, was the amount of stress and time and energy that people went into trying to work out what their teaching day should look like. And so with that in mind, um, we three at TRIO have sort of conceptualised a framework for the daily English block. And... We're going to take some time today to pull that apart and um, hopefully ease a little bit of stress for someone in their first couple of years. Um, So the framework actually consists of four blocks of time, each roughly 30 minutes, so that you're looking at um, a total of 120 minutes. Now, that would be on a good day because, if, you know, do you know what schools are like these days? There's constant interruptions. It's always something exciting happening, which, which is lovely. But sometimes it means that the important stuff of teaching kids to read and write gets lost in the fantastic activities. So we know from research back in the late, um, I'm saying late, 20th century, that's a scary thought, looked at the amount of time we actually devoted to instruction in English. And would you believe that there is research that supports the idea of the more time you spend doing something, the better you get? Makes sense to me. (laughs) It does indeed. So that we were looking and initially they were saying something like two hours. I think it can come down to 90 minutes, somewhere between 90 minutes and 120 minutes, and five times a week. Five times a week, Mary Ellen. I know. Doesn't that assume that people are teaching on Friday? Isn't everyone doing sport? Well, sometimes. (laughs) And maybe your Friday sessions are going to look a little bit different, which is one of the reasons why we've broken this up into these four little blocks. But so let's be clear, we're looking at a total time allocation of between 90 and 120 minutes 
and we're looking at a minimum of four times a week, preferably five. So those four blocks we've broken up according to the key processes in the New South Wales English syllabus. They come through very strongly in the Australian curriculum as well. And those processes are responding and composing. Now, in the past, we've, we've traditionally had you know, a, a reading slot and a writing slot. With the demands of the syllabus um, and the demands of the Australian curriculum, if we look at it in terms of responding and composing, it eases the stress of trying to fit everything in. So that if I've got roughly an hour devoted to responding, I can have roughly an hour devoted to composing. And it helps just streamline it. We've also got it in four little chunks because would you believe that very few schools find it possible to have two hours of uninterrupted time first thing in the morning? Would you believe that? I do. Unfortunately, we're in a lot of schools where the morning session is very disrupted. But at least this model allows teachers to do what they can. If they've got half an hour before they go to library, great, let's maximise the use of that in terms of subject English and then we can come back and build on that after library. The other thing I think is worth mentioning, Mary Ellen, is that if people want a copy of this framework, it is available on our website, on the TRIO website in the resources section, and it's called the Daily English Block. Right, and it's called Daily English Block for two reasons. One, daily, yes. Every day. Every day. (laughs) And English Block because the Australian curriculum is very much about English and English in its Englishness. Mm. Um, So that we've, we've made the move away from calling it the literacy block into um, the English block. Um, so I've talked about the key processes of responding and composing, and we've talked about having four little blocks of time. And you talked about teachers being able to put it where they can. There is no hard and fast rule about the sequence in which you have these four little blocks. It's just that you've got to try and get most of them in most days. Now, the next thing I wanted to to talk about here that is central to this thinking is the reciprocity of reading and writing. Now, I know that's something that sings to your heart. Oh, that's true, Mary Ellen. I I think that what this syllabus does in a really lovely way is remind all teachers K to six of a fact that I think most K to two teachers have always known, and that is what I learn in reading I can use in writing And what I learn in writing, I can use in reading. So in other words, there's a reciprocity between reading and responding to reading and composing the process of writing either a a, a visual or print or a spoken text. And so capitalising on that reciprocity is a key part of this framework and understanding how it works. Now, teachers in kindergarten and year one and year two have, have, I think, known that. But what this syllabus is saying is this still applies in three to six as well. And the strength, I think, is in making connections between what you're doing in reading and responding in that first hour, typically, of your English block and making connections across that hour 
into the composing part of the English block. Not, well, we've done reading now, put all that teaching and learning aside, and now we're going to do something completely different. But if I'm reading an, a, an informative text in modelled reading, hopefully what I'm doing in writing is some writing around an informative text. So I'm making strong connections between the two halves of that key process, the responding and composing. You can't see Jenny, but she's waving her arms around in the movement of the infinity symbol. <laughs> Reciprocity. <laughs> Reciprocity. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to go through each of these little blocks of time and um, talk about the key, the key features. So I'm going to start with the first block um, in responding and I have to say that this is my preferred starting point anyway. Yes, I, it would be where I would tend to start, Mary Ellen. Yep. Okay, so what we're doing is we've got 30 minutes and the first 10 minutes of this responding block are model teaching. And it's 10 minutes for a couple of reasons. Um, the first is that the brain research um, tells us that Students have got a very limited attention span. I don't know whether you've ever noticed that in a classroom. I certainly have. <laughs> um, so that, you know, we've got this little bit of time to actually teach them something new. Um, the second thing is that we really need to focus and actually teach them one thing. It's very easy if they're sitting being quiet and smiling and lovely that, you know, oh, look, this is going really well. I'll just mention something else. And, oh, look, they're still there and I'll mention something else. No, they're just sitting there saying, I hope she doesn't interrupt my thought processes here while I think about what I'm going to play at lunchtime. So what we're saying is in the respond, that first responding block, you're going to have 10 minutes of model teaching. Now, I have deliberately not said modelled reading here because the syllabus and the Australian curriculum say that we need to focus across a range of modes. I think you mentioned it earlier. We need to have an explicit focus on how to, um, to think about um, spoken text, print text, visual and digital text. Responding is that element where students read, listen to and view so that we're doing multiple things, so that we've got this range of different types of texts we need to deal with. But we're still going to have 10 minutes of model teaching, whether it's a big book or whether it's listening or viewing um, the sorry speech. That 10 minutes allows the teacher to share the learning intention. This is what we're learning today. And it allows them to introduce some new learning. The idea in this modelled part is to have new learning and we've got to expect that 80% of the kids are going to get that new learning the first time around. It really scares me that we keep repeating things over and over again because we've always you know, talked about the front page and the back page and the what have you and I'll just keep doing it ad nauseum. So that explicit focus in that modelled responding with it and no, modelled reading in there is certainly a, a big, big part of that, is introducing something, some new skill, some new strategy, some new understanding about how a text works, whether it's a print, digital, visual, spoken. Do I cover them all? 
Mary Ellen, can I just add something there? Um, what we're doing in that model session is thinking about what we're going to teach explicitly and what we're going to teach explicitly is going to come from what we know about where students are currently at in their learning and what the syllabus outcomes are saying should be our next point of call in terms of uh, learning. So we're actually finding that new learning by going to the syllabus. Oh, well stated. I, I, how could anyone find something that's not in the syllabus? I mean, that's your starting point. Everything we're talking about today and all of the aspects of your teaching in the English block are centred in the Australian curriculum and the New South Wales syllabus. Then don't they don't arise from commercial programs or just or from a quick search through Google? Oh. Okay. So it's an explicit focus of new learning of content from the syllabus from the Australian um, curriculum. And you, you that's probably the ten minute limit is probably um, the hardest thing teachers experience because we're so used to sort of well, listen to us, we can chat about anything for any given time. But the idea is that we've got to meet the needs of the little people in front of us. And you know, we all know in kindergarten that your lessons started about four and a half minutes. But that does not mean that our big kids can sit there for an hour. No, it's still got to be an explicit focus. What happens in the, the next part of this 30 minutes is what we've referred to as collaborative teaching. And it's where you support all of the kids to demonstrate their learning and achieve success about what you have just shown them. So, for example, if I'm working um, with a stage two and I've talked about the layout of a page and I have explicitly focused on various points of visual literacy on that page, my collaborative part may well be the student sitting in groups around a different page from the same text where they're identifying in the text they've got the elements I've shown them in the page I've got. For um, the littlest guys, that collaborative part could well be them um, chorusing and, you know, questions uh, pointing out things on the next page. It could be unmasking the words that you've shown them, you know, how you want, how you mask a word and how you cross-check it. You've demonstrated that in your explicit focus and that the collaborative part can be the kids going on and, in, and having more of a go at doing that. Did you want to add to, to that? I think um, that collaborative part is interesting because sometimes you would hardly notice any shift from what I'm doing in thinking aloud um, some new teaching with the class, uh, you might just see me perhaps shifting from thinking aloud into asking different members of the class. But there are other times when that collaborative learning could look quite different. And I've asked people to be in a small group or turn to their thinking partner and discuss what we're looking at. I think the important aspect of that is it's the first moment in time that I as the teacher have to check in that my teaching is connecting with learning and that learning is underway. It's the moment where I can see whether I've been misunderstood, whether generally the class has understood that new learning or whether I need to have another go at making clear what it is I'm teaching. 
So in terms of getting a clear understanding from students, that connecting in with them at that moment in time I think is a critical one. Ah, that's sometimes referred to as a hinge question where you ask the children to um, explain what it is you've been teaching. Now, I have been had an experience where I've asked that hinge question in terms of, so what do you think we've been taught? What have you learned this morning? And the response I've got back after my 10 minutes of explicit focus has shocked me that it has been quite different to what I thought I was saying. I, I agree with that, Mary Ellen. You and I have both been teaching for a long time, and uh, but despite that length of teaching, I think every time I stand up in front of a class, I learn something new about what explicit really means. <laughs> and unfortunately, it's often after when I think I've been explicit and I discover that, in fact, students have been confused by what I've said. So that touching base with them through that collaborative learning is such an important thing to do to make sure that your message, your teaching, the explicitness of your teaching has actually connected with students and resulted in learning. And that can easily come around when you restate your learning intention in terms of, well, this was what we we set out to learn and this is how you've demonstrated it. And it gives you an opportunity to scoop up those kids because you very quickly see who is sitting there with a dazed expression and you know then which group which groups of kids you're going to have to, to work on a bit bit more. So we're talking about that very first 30-minute block you might have, you know, first up most days. And we've called it responding. It's model teaching, explicit focus, and then that opportunity for kids to demonstrate, actively demonstrate their learning right at that point of of taking on the new work. Where might I go from there? Well, I think there's another half hour, roughly half hour block left in that reading responding time in the English block. And I think that's best spent moving into guided and independent reading. Our ultimate goal, no matter what class we're teaching, is that students leave our classroom with a lot of independent skills, appropriate independent skills for their age and stage around reading and writing. And the best way we know to do that is to move through modelled into guided and independent activities. And in this instance, it's around reading and responding. So in our framework, that second roughly half hour period of time is devoted to guided and independent reading. In most schools, there's quite a structure for guided reading, but we have a two-hour block and it's only one of several important components. So figuring out how to make that fit in your time frame can be a challenge given particular school constraints, but it's worth thinking about and this framework makes some suggestions. So our suggestion is that you can be running uh, guided reading simultaneously with independent reading. That idea eliminates a lot of weekend work for teachers who feel they need to spend a lot of time coming up with worksheets to go with the reading that's being done in guided reading. Guided reading is guided reading, not guided worksheets. And so it's really all about the practice of reading. We want um, the opportunity to meet with smaller groups of students and guided reading gives us the chance to meet with students exactly where they're at, somewhere around their instructional level 
and cater to that's particularly important. We might form our groups in different ways, three to six, but cater to they're most typically formed around uh, instructional levels in reading. And you, the teacher, works with uh, one or two groups during that roughly half hour period of time, meeting with them around their particular learning needs, but also where it's possible, drawing in the learning from the modelled reading and re-emphasising that and reinforcing that where possible through that guided session. Um, we, I've known rooms that have a lot more than four groups for guided reading, but it can get very unmanageable. And while we are really trying to form those groups around an instructional level in K-2, we also have to be realistic and not end up with an incredibly stressed teacher who feels like they have to have eight groups running to meet the particular broad range of students in the room. Form four groups, work with them as best you can, and keep it manageable and the learning will follow. On our framework, we have independent reading occurring at the same time as guided reading. Partly that's a management thing, and partly it's to stress the importance of independent reading. We've been in a lot of rooms, Mary Ellen, where teachers say, look, we just don't have time for independent reading. And it almost breaks my heart when I hear that said, because if I want students to leave my classroom reading independently, they have to have opportunities to practice the new learning on their own while I'm still around to lend a hand, if needed. Uh, what other way are they going to become independent readers? If they're not reading, you can't improve your reading. So it's that practice that makes perfect. So giving students that chance to read independently, it's not drop everything and read and just read with, for no motivation at all. When I'm setting up independent reading, I'm encouraging students to go to the bookshelf, choose a book themselves, but think about what we've learned in modelled reading and see whether they can apply any of that teaching to what they're reading. And then I like to bring students back at the end of that guided and independent reading time and bring some closure to that section with a short discussion around what readers have observed related to our teaching focus in modelled reading and what that's, uh, how they found that in independent reading. And I just say that that just doesn't happen by magic. Um, that at the beginning of every year and, and a revisit at the beginning of every term, I think we really need to take kids through what the expectations of independent reading are, uh, what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it feels like. And once you've actually explicitly taught that, that hums along beautifully. But I have to admit, I think it's a big ask to have the littlest guys by themselves for that much time. You've got some alternatives in there with your, for your youngest, younger students, haven't you? Yes, I, I think it's entirely possible to run some rotating groups effectively uh, or some schools call it literacy centres during that half-hour block. I, I think the thing to remember is that half-hour is really about guided and independent reading, and so you don't want what you're doing to take over. In, t in terms of groups, you don't want the group activities to take over from your priority, which is guided reading and independent reading. 
the way I tend to think of it is that I have a group, I have four groups in my room. One group is working with me doing in, doing guided reading. I've got one group doing independent reading. I've got one group doing independent writing at a writing centre and that leaves me with one group I need to plan for. And what I try to do is introduce over the course of the year several activities, particularly sorting activities, that will enable the students in a particular group to uh, reinforce, revisit what we've been learning in spelling or in grammar. And so that means there's only one kind of new activity that I'm structuring into that mix. That gives me the four rotating groups that enables me to see two guided reading groups a day. Now, as you said, Mary Ellen, that doesn't happen without some explicit teaching around the routines you want in place and what you want that to look like. And I would always say the time you spend at the beginning of the year setting up those expectations is key to it running smoothly. If you're listening to this podcast and thinking, well, my room's got very chaotic during guided reading, then it's time to stop taking a group at least for a few days while you reteach the routines that you want to have in place to maintain your sanity and the effectiveness of that time. Reteach the routines and wander around the room monitoring that it's all on track before you go back into taking a guided reading group. It's time well spent, uh, both for your own sanity but for the effectiveness of what can be a very powerful teaching time in guided reading and independent reading. The only thing I've had um, from teachers challenging that idea of kids reading independently is that you know how are the how are the students accountable and by golly all they're doing is sitting and reading and so we've got to reframe that a little bit. I mean, you talked about um, reading journals. That's one way of of building in accountability. But how fantastic if they are sitting and reading. Exactly. How fantastic is what that? What a point of praise. <laughs> when I'm working with K to two, I encourage back to back and knee to knee. So back to back is you with your book sitting back to back with another member of the class who's reading their book. So independent reading is about reading your own choice of book. And after whatever time has been allocated, you turn from back to back to knee to knee and engage in discussion that the teacher has already uh, identified. So one day it might be uh, share with your partner um, your favourite page of the book, read it to them with your best reading voice or practising your punctuation, whatever. Another day it might be um, li- your re- the partner listening to you and giving some feedback as you read. You might be explaining to the partner about your character in the book and then they might tell you about the main character in the book that they've read. So you can set it up to make them accountable um, and to give them that variation from back to back I'm doing my own reading and knee to knee, I'm now talking about and sharing what I've been reading. But Mary Ellen, when it comes to the three to six students, I don't think back to back and knee to knee is going to work. Do you have some thoughts for them? Oh, yeah, side by side. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I think that you can pose, again, it's the same thing. We were looking at this aspect of a text in our whole class modelled session 
um, I want you to be looking for what the author's done in the text you're reading. It may or may not work. They can have a journal where they're just going to, you know, on odd, odd occasions over time, you know, m- make some notes about um, about various things. I also like them when you, when you have modelled um, a reader's journal where, you, where you've read something and you think, oh, that's a beautiful phrase, I'm going to write that down because I want to, um, I want to use that. We did that in a classroom once and then um, on one occasion and what happened the next day, you know, a child the next day went, that's beautiful, I want to write that in my, in my journal. It spread like wildfire. Whether it's in their writing journal or their reading journal, it doesn't matter. As, you know, they're on the lookout for, for beautiful aspects. I think that all three to six students can read independently for, for 30 minutes I like them to keep the text that they've got. I don't like this mad rush to the shelf. I think if you've got a book, it, you know, you've got to give it a really good go. Uh, you've got to teach the kids about I pick, you know, I pick the right book. Um, again, there's some explicit teaching to get it happening, but there's nothing. Actually, it, it makes your heart sing when you see three quarters of a class absolutely engrossed in whatever text they've chosen. And I monitor text choices um, so that, you know, I do insist that they have a range of things over time, but that's also down to me as to what I'm putting in my classroom library and working closely with the school librarians to the the texts we're actually able to bring into the room to share. Um, I wish I'd invested in shares in plastic bags. You know, we can go with a cloth bag too, but it's, you know, keeping the text I'm reading with my journal in a safe spot that I can access easily. You know, we don't want 30 hairy savages charging across the room to raid the bookshelf. That way chaos and unpleasantness lies. I think there's a lot to be said about the books that are chosen for that independent reading quarter. Whatever the age, what we're saying is reading is reading. And there are certainly, when I think about my own reading, there are times when I'm very happy to sit down with an educational journal. But there are also times when that's the last thing I want to sit down and read and it's a trashy magazine I'm looking for or a light novel or the TV guide or the instructions for putting the IKEA furniture together. Oh, not no. That, not that that's ever worked for me, Mary Ellen. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but I, I think having a range of reading materials uh, – Yes, I'm not. I'm going to monitor that um, the same students not just reading the mechanics magazines that are there, but is mixing it up a bit. But I do want students to understand that reading is reading. And today you might choose this a novel, and next week you might choose something different altogether. And so having the ability to do that, I think, is really important. The other thing I think is kids really know if they're doing the wrong thing. I remember a school we've both worked in, Mary Ellen, where they had a big focus on independent reading and they encouraged the students to come up with the criteria and it ranged, I think, from oops, which wasn't very good, all the way up to um, fantastic. And um, they all knew the wording in the oops column was perfect. I only did pretend reading today. They all knew what pretend reading looked like. I certainly did. Yes. So I think um, being accountable is we can factor that in. Uh, Tell me about your independent reading today, so-and-so. I thought I saw you rolling around the floor or annoying somebody else. That's not independent reading. So we can encourage them to be accountable and they know 
uh, they know what it's supposed oh, to look like. They do. We've all got teacher eyes and you've only got to look at them and say, didn't I see you and the little heads drop? And they say, okay, mm-hmm. I, I didn't rate myself as a, as a four. I'll drop it down to a two. Yeah. <laughs> They're very good at that. Yes, exactly. So we've spent the first amount of this time talking about the first hour of our English block, which is centred around responding and most of the talk has been about uh, around reading. I mean, times there are times when children will be using iPads in independent reading, so they will be using digital. So keep that at the back of your mind. But we're going to move from responding now into composing, and you love this, don't you? I do. Let <laughs> me be the one to talk about this, Mary Ellen. We've now moved into that third, roughly half-hour block of time in our English in our daily English block. And we're coming back to the idea of composing a text, of picking up a pen or grabbing the computer or taking a camera and composing a kind of text. So again, we use the expression modelled teaching rather than modelled writing to account for the fact that you will be asking students to write different or compose, sorry, different types of text, spoken text, visual texts digital texts as well as texts that require a pen or and paper. Again, as we discussed when we were talking about model teaching in the responding section, we're wanting a teaching focus of about 10 minutes. And that's because of what we know about the attention span of students. And also it's a good check on us. Most teachers are pretty good at talking. And we often like to, well, I've said it, now I'll just say it again in case they didn't get it. And I know there'll be a couple that didn't get it even the second time, so I'll say it again. And uh, by that stage, we've really uh, bored three quarters of the class to the point that they've probably forgotten what we said the first time. So it's very important to keep us on track as well as to make sure that uh, students are still with us and haven't um, lost focus and drifted off into a daydream. Where I can, I want the modelled teaching in my composing part of the English block to relate in some way or connect in some way to what we've been doing in reading and responding. It may be that I'm taking the text we looked at in the reading and responding modelled teaching part of the day and I'm now using it as a mentor text and reading it like a writer and pointing out a text structure or a language feature that I want students to bring into their own work. It may be at a big level of a whole text and the purpose of a text, be it an informative, persuasive or imaginative text, or it may be around a language feature or around starting a sentence in a particular way or around the skill of paragraphing. But where I can make connections from reading and responding into composing, I'm going to take every opportunity to do that because, as we've already said, it's a strength of this syllabus that those two ideas are seen as key processes and we can interweave the teaching and learning through reading into writing and from writing into reading. So once I've done my modelled teaching, with my 10-minute focus, and maybe I've been modelling that and writing myself for the class, and I've had a very explicit focus that's come from what I see as student need and what's in the syllabus that I'm mandated to teach. Once I've done that model teaching, then I need a 
time for students to work on their own writing. And in this model, about 20 minutes has been allowed for that. Now, there are going to be times when you borrow time from one of the other half-hour blocks because you need longer. But I think the idea that we have to give students a very long time to write creates a false impression. If I give students an hour to write, then they need an hour to write. But actually, if I give them 20 minutes to write, lo and behold, they can discover that actually they can do it and they can stay focused and get the job done without uh, all that time spent finding pencils and sharpening them and finding a rubber and rubbing everything out three times before I'm happy with it. So part of that, I think, is the way you've set up your room around acceptable writing behaviours. But the idea of getting students focused on writing solidly for 20 minutes, I think, is a very worthwhile thing to contemplate. Now, while students are writing independently, you might pull aside a group of students for a writing conference for a guided writing session, perhaps you've been focusing on a particular aspect of grammar or punctuation and you know there are a couple of students for whom this could be difficult. When everyone else goes to write, keep them with you. Have another little chat about uh, whatever the issue might be and then say you'll come and look at their writing and check that out as they go to their writing. Maybe you've got a group of talented writers and what the rest of the class is doing isn't going to stretch them Maybe you want to give them their own set of instructions about uh, what they might add in or change in their own writing to reflect where they're at on their learning journey. So the idea of having a guided writing group or a writing conference with students is a very useful thing to do. And while students are writing at their desks is the time that you can take to check in on several around the room. You're not going to be able to do that with every member of the class every day, but there's no need to. You'll see their draft writing. You'll be providing feedback in a written way as well as in an oral way. You can draw the class back together if you feel there's something that needs to be said to the whole class. So that first block in the um, composing section really encompasses your model teaching and then the opportunity that students have to get on with the writing while you are monitoring what's happening either through guided writing or through writing conferences. I just note that we were talking in terms of responding in guided reading. There's two groups of kids that you've seen, and then you've just spoken about visiting um, a group of kids in writing. So that's a third group of kids you see. And I'm going to talk about the um, the last block in time and would you believe there might even be time to see a fourth group of kids in a day? And if you're keeping that your groupings manageable, it's possible that you're going to see every kid in the class in some time during the day. I just was putting it together as you were talking mm. about the groups. Mm. So the fourth and the last little block of time is um, – you know, 10 is, is, is 30 minutes, but it can be as short as 10. I mean, Jenny talked about borrowing time, um, and this is a spot that you might like to borrow time for more work in, in the independent writing part. This fourth block of time uh, we've referred to as word work. Um, 
spelling has such a bad rap about you know what the expectations of what it's going to look like so that if we refer to word work what we're doing in this focus 10 minutes the first 10 minutes of this last block is we're looking to give an explicit focus on how words work we would be looking at um, teaching kids about the four spelling knowledges we would be looking at teaching kids a spelling strategy we would be looking at teaching kids how to use a secondary source. There's all sorts of things that we can be actually doing to explicitly teach um, how words work and what in the room can support them. Um, So that this first 10 minutes is grade appropriate. It's the whole class. This is the sorts of things we need to be learning. It might be a generalisation. I've played word work bingo in this time. Now, that's a game I love. Um, but it's whole class and it's moving the kids along in terms of what's the next thing I need to be teaching that I've seen. Because, you know, just a few minutes before I've been working with a group of kids and I've been I've had a little look around um, what's happening in the writing and I'm storing that, what I've seen, away in my brain for what's something else I need to focus on in terms of teaching kids about spelling and how words work. So, that you know, I've, I've had an information gathering session just before I start this, this, this last little part. So that I'd have my whole work um, explicit focus. Now, again, it would be really nice if this related to the other aspects of model teaching that you'd been doing in in responding with your reading earlier and in your composing. Um, yeah, throw in Munro thing. This was a fantastic word that we we learnt in the the reading. Let's have a look at how how to break it up. Um, and it's an exciting time. It's not writing lists and copying words. It's actually explicitly talking to kids about how to problem solve in order to write accurate text through correct spelling. Now, again, it's 10 minutes tops. It's all you need. Uh, It needs to be carefully planned. It can have a different focus each day of the week. Um, But it's still something that needs to happen most days. Yes, we can afford to drop it off a couple of times a week, but it still needs to happen most days. The second part of this um, 20 minutes is working with one group of kids on a particular concern. Now, this is where everybody else could go back to um, their writing uh, or everyone could continue their writing and you, you know, mm. pull out this group of kids to work on a spelling thing and you actually do your lesson about vocab or something afterwards. I mean, you've got the opportunity with this block of time to be really flexible about how you how you go about it. But if you've got the opportunity to pull together a little group of kids who have a particular issue, you know, it's your opportunity to beat the correct spelling of was into a group of kids. Or you've seen, as you've wandered around the class in the last couple of days, there's a real issue with um, endings. So you can pull this group of kids together and have a, an explicit focus on what it is um, they need to to focus on. So again, it's it's going with that same guided guided you know guided group. Um, just that this time, you know, it, it's really quite short. I think it's. I noticed that it was really easy for teachers in the first couple of years to devote way too much time to. Um, to teaching of spelling and it seemed to be something that was easy to repeat every day for you know 30 40 minutes uh, we've we've pulled this back to 10 or 20 um, 
it is only one income and outcome and it is part of composing. You were going to say. Yes, I, I agree with you about that, uh, Mary Ellen. And I think for me uh, the strength of doing spelling in this way is the fact that it's in a context. You're putting it in the context of what you're doing as part of your reading and writing and really you're putting a lot of your grammar into that context of writing and of reading as well. And I think we know that learning takes place best when it's in a context. So providing the context of I need these words for my reading, I need to figure out the endings for what I'm currently writing, makes a whole lot of sense and helps students to incorporate the things we're teaching around spelling and grammar into their repertoire because they're getting them when they need them. It's not a lesson in isolation. Good point. I think we can apply the same thinking there to the teachers. If you are planning your day and and looking at your program in a, in a pro in a, in a framework similar to this, it pulls the syllabus together so that it becomes a logical, coherent piece rather than a whole lot of standalones. Mm. Um, and yeah. I I think that we've sort of we've fallen into that trap of I'm going to take this whiz-bang new program and drop it in on top. What we've tried to do um, with our daily English block is pull together the pedagogical approach of model-guided and independent with the syllabus frame, with a framework and the, the key processes of responding and composing. So just to, to revisit what we've been talking about today in the English block, our five takeaways. The first one is get the framework. Think about your time. The next one is responding, modelled and collaborative, your first block. Your second block, putting together guided and independent responding, reading. Moving into composing and writing, modelled and independent writing, then devoting some time to composing with your modelled and guided word work. The idea is that should be this transition to quote Brian Campbell, we're working across semiotic systems throughout the day. It's a single cohesive block that can also be put at four different times during the day if you've got that sort of a a, um, a day to contend with. I think that's very true, Mary Ellen. There's a lot there to think about in terms of how we arrange our day and a lot of useful information to take away. Okay. Thanks for joining us and we look forward to talking together again.